0: If you're not already standing, if you would stand, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. I'm going to give you the condensed version of this message today. Praise the Lord. And don't worry, they're recorded for second service. I got all the time in the world then, so we're good. The book of Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, verse 36. When you got it, say so. All right, I'll wait. Luke seven thirty six. When you got to say so, so, that's better. Y'all are getting there. Y'all are getting there. Praise the Lord. It says this. It says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for telling us, Go in peace. Thank you for liberating us from the burden of sin that we had in our lives And reminding us this morning that you are a faithful deliverer. God, I pray in these next few moments that you would open our ears, soften our hearts, captivate our minds, and may your truth bring change and transformation to each of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon. We want to be sure that you're able to take some notes and hopefully you will share what you're learning with someone else. Be encouraged to do that. As always, you're a disciple of Jesus, so I encourage you to Share your faith with other people. Share what you are learning. And so this morning, as you look at your outline here, there are two things that we will never fully grasp. Two things that we will never fully grasp. One of them is the love of God. As we engaged in worship this morning, I don't know about you, but you know, I can hear the sniffles around the room. Y'all are wishing that we had tissues, glory to God. And uh, you're like, man, what happened to them tissue boxes? Anyway, we'll talk about that another day. But either way, I I, I can sense, right? I know when God walks in the room. I'm not a I'm not a crybaby kind of guy. And look, there's there's nothing wrong with that if you are, but I'm just not that dude. I don't cry all the time at a drop of a hat. It takes me a little bit. And so when God moves in a, in, in a special way, what I am, what I know how happens in those moments is we are reminded of his love. We are reminded in those moments of worship how much he loves us. And that's why we're overwhelmed with emotion. That's why we're overwhelmed, because God is pouring out. He's lavishing his love. And you notice you don't walk around weeping all the time, right? You don't walk around with that sense all the time. Because if you did, you wouldn't be able to do anything else except weep, right? I remember one time I was driving my car on my way to work one day. I'm in the middle of worship with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit just invaded that car in such a powerful way. And I'm trying to drive and, and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And eventually I was just like, look, we don't have to be late today, glory to God. Because I couldn't drive and continue on with this encounter with the Lord. But the reality is we will never, one thing is that we will never fully grasp the love of God toward us. And the second thing that I don't think that we will ever fully grasp, which is tied in hand in hand with the love of God, it is the magnitude of our sin debt. We will never fully grasp. You know, you may know that you're a sinner. You may know that you have sinned. You may know that you have dishonored God, but you will never understand the magnitude of your sin before God. Not until you understand the magnitude of God's holiness, until you grasp how, man, the the, the the white lies that we say that we tell, those things are a blemish in the presence of God. Those things are abominable in the presence of God. And so we will never fully grasp that. But one of the greatest truths of Christianity is this, it is that, it is that Jesus Christ paid the ransom for our deliverance from our sin debt owed to God the Father. This is what I'm going to to be speaking on when it comes to Easter, and there was a video that we had, and obviously it didn't play today because of where we are, but here's the thing I want you to realize is that Jesus did something. He paid a ransom according to the scriptures. A ransom for all is what the Bible says in First Timothy chapter 2, I believe it is. He speaks to us about the ransom that he paid for us for our deliverance, that way we could come into a relationship with God Almighty. He paid a great price. Every sin that we committed is what nailed Jesus to that cross. And so today I encourage you as you consider this, as you think about as as you think about the greatness of God's grace, what I want to encourage you to do is listen, you know, it's 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 just a little bit of time. We got like a little bit over a month before Easter comes. Here's what I want you to do. I really want you to pray. I want you to think about who it is that needs to hear about the ransom that was paid for them. Who is it that you are going to invite? Who is it that you're going to bring? Because you know what? All of this sermon series that we're doing about how to Jesus evangelize and all that, all of it is for not if you're not doing it. Hello, somebody. If we, I mean, we are, this is this is sermon number nine, right? Is this like the ninth sermon that we're in here? So sermon number nine here, we should already have grown in this area of boldness. We should understand some things. There's some things that have been repeated. There's some things that we're seeing over and over again as a pattern of the way that Jesus operates. There's some things that are new every week, but you should be thinking about God. How can I share this message? With whom is this message for? How can I bring this message across? And so I would encourage you to begin praying, begin using This this opportunity, the reason why we look at Easter is because that's a natural day. One thing that is factual is that even though we may be a post-Christian nation, you know, post-Christian culture and all that kind of stuff, Easter somehow still remains a day on a calendar that people seem to be a little bit more open to come to church, kind of like Christmas. Hello, somebody. And so use it as an opportunity to invite someone to come in and and see if they can hear this message and how God will change their life. And so I want you to think about this this morning. God's mercy should change the way we view ourselves and those who are far from him. God's mercy should change the way that we view ourselves and those who are far from Christ. It should change the way that we see ourselves. It should change the way that we view who we are. And as we are changed in the way that we view ourselves, we should change the way that we see other people. The way that we see other people, the way that we see others, you know, those people that they don't want anything to do about Christianity. They don't, want, they don't want to know anything about your faith. They don't seem to be interested in the God you serve. They have different goals, different desires. But wait a second, the way that we view them is changed by what? The way that we view ourselves. The reason why this matters is because when you look at this story here, what we find is that we see uh, some different viewpoints, do we not? We see the viewpoint of Jesus, we see the viewpoint of Simon, who is the viewpoint of all of the religious elite of that day and age, and then we also see the viewpoint of the sinner, the woman who was there. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this, say, pay attention, pay attention. to the details. Pay attention to the details in the story that we just read. And and listen, for time's sake, I'm not going to walk through the whole story. I just want to point out a couple of things here. One of the things I want to point out is that Jesus was invited to this dinner, the scripture says, by a Pharisee. And I want you to pause for a moment because immediately, I don't know about you, but whenever I think, whenever I read the word Pharisee, there is automatically this negative connotation that comes with it. When I think of a Pharisee, I think of someone who is this religious elite, someone who is this person, someone who's really judgmental. That, that, those are the kind of pictures that come into my mind. But I want us to just pause for a moment because when you think about what a Pharisee was in those days, a Pharisee, and you all are not going to like what I'm about to say, a Pharisee is what we want every Christian to be. What do you mean, Bishop? A Pharisee is what we want every Christian to be externally because you know what the Pharisees were? The Pharisees were the people who were committed to God's word. They were devoted. You would have talked about a Pharisee. What did Paul say? He said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a God that was walking blameless. He was a God that was living for God's glory. So they were people who were committed to God's word. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be a Christian who's committed to God's word? Raise your hand. Come on now. Right? You want to be known as a Christian who is committed to God's word. Do you not? You want to be known as a Christian. How about this one? They were committed to the right worship of God. How many of you want to be known as a right worshiper of God? Anybody here? I mean, the Father is seeking worshipers. So I would say... Like we all want to be worshipers, right? The the, the Pharisees were committed to the purity of the people of God. How many of you want to be known as someone who's committed to the purity of the people of God? You should be because we're called to be pure. And so if you would have looked at a Pharisee in those days, he would have been what we would call an upstanding Christian on the outside. Everything would have seen about them. So Jesus goes and has dinner with Simon. Simon the Pharisee invites him says, "Come on, man. Come over to dinner." And Jesus is like, "All right." So he goes. He has he sits down at the table with the guy. He sits down at the table with him, and all, and, and, and all of a sudden, right, and I just find it so funny. Like, you think about this. Like, think about a dinner invitation. Just, just today, you're, you're probably going to have dinner somewhere, right? So just imagine, right, you're going to have dinner somewhere. You go there, and some person you don't know walks in the room and starts doing what this lady started doing. Would that not be crazy? Come on now. Right? What it shows us is the difference of the culture. The scripture says that when she knew that Jesus was going to be at the Pharisee's house, she did what? She came there. She showed up. She wasn't invited. I can assure you of that. (laughs) She wasn't invited to the table, y'all. She wasn't invited to come and join them for the meal. It wasn't like, hey, come on. No, no, but somehow she walks in there. And listen, she doesn't care about the embarrassment. She doesn't care about the ridicule. And what does she do? She goes and she stands behind Jesus, right? Because what? He's sitting, on, he's sitting on the floor. His feet are behind him, right? That's how you would be sitting on the floor. See, feet are behind him. And she begins to weep as she's there. She begins weeping. And, 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 and so much tears are coming from her face. She is literally washing Jesus' feet. Not just washing them, but her face are so close to his feet; she is literally kissing his feet while all of this is going on. And with her hair, ladies, come on now, <laughs> you get your hair done. You ain't doing nothing with your hair. You don't want to, go, especially in Florida. Glory to God, right? It gets humid. You, you don't even want to go outside, right? But this woman, she didn't care. She's washing his feet with her hair. This is what's occurring in the situation. And it's so crazy to me because when I think about this whole thing, it's, it's nuts. Like, I don't know. It's, I, I wonder, like, if Simon knew who Jesus was, really. He obviously didn't because he starts having these thoughts to himself. He's like, this man. This is his thoughts. This man. If this guy, if he was really a prophet, in other words, if he was really a man of God, that's what he was saying. If he's really a man of God, guess what? He would know that this is a sinner. <laughs> you know what Jesus does? I love Jesus, right? What does he do? He's like, Simon, have something to say to you. Like at that moment, you ever been in a situation, I don't know about you, I've been in situations like that, where you're sitting there, you didn't say a word, but it seemed like someone read your mail, huh? Huh? You like, man, will they read my mind? Oh, you know, they 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 seem to turn to me right at that moment. They seem to look at me right at that. Like like those moments, right? That that just something like, oh, hold on a second. Did, did someone just send them a memo about what I was thinking? For sure, for sure, for sure. That's what happened here. Jesus is there, and he tells him this story of these two debtors, one of them owed. And basically, in our modern days, the first one owed about two years' wages, an impossible. Just imagine whatever you make, times that by two, what you make in a year. That's what he was saying this first person owed. The other one owed maybe a couple of months of something. So, you know, you look at the difference in those debts, it's a big difference, right? And he says and then he says to Simon, he's like, so which one would love more, appreciate his master more? And Simon's like, well, I guess. You know, you know how you answer, like, well, I guess. Like, like you don't want to, because you know, you, you know now. Hold on a second. He, is he talking about me? Come on now. And then Jesus goes, and, I, and listen, I love what Jesus does. Yeah, verse 44, look what he says. Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? And now he's like, Simon, you, you, you were over here thinking all this stuff about this sinner, You were thinking all this stuff about this unclean person that is here. But you see this woman. I want you to look at this woman here. You see this woman. She this this woman here, I entered your house. Now look what Jesus says. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her the hair on her head. Why does that matter? When you came into someone's house, guess what? You were walking outside. You were in sandals. You didn't have, like, nice shoes like we have on today. It wasn't like, you know, people say, Chinese home, take off your shoes when you come in here. It wasn't like that. No, no, no. You were going to take off your sandals, nasty feet. You were about to sit down to eat. Guess what? Someone should wash your feet. Hello? Especially a guest of honor. You know what Jesus is saying to him? Bro, you didn't even treat me like I'm somebody in your house. But he doesn't just leave it there. He's like, you gave me no kiss. You didn't even greet me. You didn't even welcome me. You know what the Bible says, greet each other with a holy kiss, right? This is something that's natural in that call. You didn't even greet me as someone who matters in your house. You, you show no respect for who I am, and yet this woman, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. That's another thing. For someone who was an honored guest, this anointing with oil, it's like refreshing them is what it was about, right? He says, you didn't even do that, and she has anointed my feet with oil. Talk about humbling. You think that was humbling? Listen, here's the thing I want you to take away from this story at this moment is that Jesus responds to people much different than we do. That's a beautiful thing. Jesus responds to people much different than we do. And what we need to do is we need to pray, God, help us see people the way you do. Help us view people the way you do. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to confess this to you because it really doesn't matter what you think about me anyway. But there's plenty of lists in my heart of people that I'm like, hmm. But can I tell you something? I know this. I can be honest about this. I know God doesn't view those people the same way I do. God doesn't feel the way I feel about those people. You know how, you know, you know how it is. Like some of y'all, you know, you write people off. That's how we do it sometimes. That's, that's natural. I mean, for me anyway, I, you know, like whatever. Right? It's true. But you know what? God doesn't view those people that I wrote off like that. Praise the Lord he don't write people off. Hello. Because I know I've been written off. <laughs> Glory to God. I still get written off today. It ain't like things have changed, right? So the reality is I'm, I'm grateful that God doesn't just write people off. But he shows mercy. He sees people. So we need to ask God to help us to see things. The second thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, accept forgiveness. forgiveness. But don't forget its cost. Accept forgiveness, but don't forget its cost. When Jesus goes through this whole list of things, that's like what I would call a stinger, right? Like he was like direct. There was no indirect here, right? The story was indirect, but then Jesus got straight direct on him. and was like, bro, what's up? You didn't do any of these things for me. You didn't treat me with any kind of honor. And so Jesus goes on ahead, and he says something in verse 47 to the woman. He tells the woman in verse 47, he tells her this. He says, therefore, I say to you, speaking to Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Talk about a stinger right there. He who loves, listen, if you've been forgiven a lot, you're going you're gonna to love a lot. If you've been forgiven, you're going to, listen, they're, 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 this story here is one of the greatest. Apart from the fact that it's a good evangelistic tool for us to understand how to deal with people, here's the beauty of it. This. this is one of the most amazing stories of what real worship looks like. It is extravagant. It is self-abandoned. This woman knew that she was a sinner. She knew that she was unrighteous. She knew that she was unholy. She knew that she was impure. And yet, because she understood the grace of this Jesus, because she understood the mercy that was there, she loved in an extravagant way. I mean, that's powerful stuff. She lay, Listen, she laid it down at his feet. She worshipped him with a reckless abandon and did not care about what anybody thought. Simon, on the other hand, he he barely even greeted Jesus when he walked in the door. Why? Because he didn't even realize what he had been forgiven of. You know, here's the thing. There, there, There's two types of people or, you know, two things that I see here. There are too many people who either walk in a bitterness of condemnation, right? There's, there, there's that one group. You walk in the bitterness of condemnation. You never experience the forgiveness that God gives you. You walk in this this cloud of, of, of just unforgiveness, never fully grasping the mercy and the grace of God. That's one group of people. Too many people do that. Listen, you need to understand the fullness of the grace and the mercy of God. You don't walk in condemnation. You experience forgiveness. Listen, we will all fall short. That's the bottom line. And it's going to happen more than you would like to admit or you will ever admit to other people. But you know what the beauty is? The beauty is God's grace is greater than your failures. Repent. Repent confess, right? Go to First John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. I love it. The sin sandwich. Go there. God is faithful. If you confess your sin unto him, that he will do what? He will forgive you your sin. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If anyone says that he hasn't sinned, he's a liar. I mean, that, that's what John is saying. All of us have sinned. That's, that's just a reality. But what do we do? We have an advocate with the Father. We run to that advocate. We ask and we believe for forgiveness. But see, but then there's another group of people that are like Simon, right? And this other group people, they deal with something else. It is what I would call the emptiness of sinful unawareness. The emptiness of sinful unawareness. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this, is that they are really unaware of their sin. It's not self-righteousness. It's worse than self-righteousness. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not that you think you're good, it's that you think you're not that bad. Are you here? You don't think you're good, you're just not that bad, Right? You're you're, you're not that bad. Wait a second. You are that bad. Hold on. Do do you realize that we are in our hearts? You know what Jesus did? When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, what he did was he upped the ante. He said, you know what? You've been told that if you, you know, you should not murder, right? He tells that there. But then he's like, if you call someone a fool, you've already murdered them. Hold on a second. So you know what he's telling us? He's saying all y'all are murderers in your heart. That's what he's saying. He says, you know what, if you lust for a woman, you're not supposed to commit adultery. But then he goes on and says, but i tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. Wait a second, so you're adulterers at heart? That's what Jesus is saying. Right? We go down the list of things, right, about not lying, about not bearing false witness, all of these things. We are covetous. We are all of these things in our hearts. Listen, we are that bad and worse than what we realize. And so we have to be reminded of this reality. And here in this story, we see that Simon, he was one of those guys. He might have realized, you know, that he maybe he he probably thought he was good. But at the end of the day, he didn't think he was that bad. Especially, you want to know why? Because he found a justifier. What's, What's a justifier? A justifier is the one you compare yourself to. That's the one you look at. And you look at their sin that's worse than yours. You look at their sin that makes you look good. Come on now. See, but when you measure yourself around, uh, against the holiness of God, guess what? There's no justification except in Jesus. Hello. That's where humility comes in, where we recognize who God is. Church, we need to be awakened to the depth of our sinfulness and to the grandeur and the magnificence of God's mercy and grace that is wrapped up in God's love. Church, you need to realize that you have been forgiven. When we think of the gospel, we are great sinners, but we serve a great Savior. That's the reality of the gospel. We are great sinners. We sin against God in word. We sin against God in thought. We sin against God in deed. We sin against God in our attitudes. We sin against God in the things we do and in the things that we don't do. And that is why Jesus had to go to the cross. But because of him going to the cross, we are forgiven. That's beautiful stuff. We are loved no matter what. We are loved. That's beautiful stuff that we can sit there and say, God, thank you so much for loving me. We are not only forgiven, we are not only loved, but the scriptures tell us that we are clean. The Bible tells us that we are new. We are a new creation. This is the beauty of the gospel. Is that God liberates us from what we could never liberate ourselves? He sets us free. And the third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this say, don't just learn from Jesus, follow him. Don't just learn from him, follow him. Don't just learn more about the way he deals with stuff. Follow him. Either follow his example or follow his instructions. Follow his example or follow his teaching, his word. What is he trying to communicate? The one thing that I hope that you've learned as we've looked through these stories thus far and as we'll continue to walk through different encounters that Jesus had is that these stories are not always about how do you evangelize someone only, but it's also about what is Jesus trying to say to you? And I remember somebody said something a, a while ago, I can't, I can't take credit for this, and I can't even give credit because I have no clue who said it. I just, long time ago, I've heard a lot of things since then. But this one thing this person said stood out to me that I thought was really powerful. Because we often say this, and maybe you've said this, maybe you've thought this, maybe you're thinking that today. We go through trials, we go through hardship in our life, and we're always like, well, God is trying to teach me something, right? God, well, what is God trying to teach me? And I believe that to be true. But there's one person said this, and I thought that this was so powerful. He said, "Listen, it's not about what God is trying to teach you. God is trying to get your heart. When we go through hardship, we go through difficulty, It's not about the lesson we learn. It's about our heart before God. Does He have your heart? God doesn't want to make you smarter. He wants to make you more like him. Are you here? He doesn't want to make you this astute teacher like you're going through all these trials because you're going to be so wise one day. Listen, he's not trying to make you some sage for your great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so you can tell everybody or be amazing out in the church. That's not the goal. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And all of these things, he wants your heart. He wants your heart before him because if he has your heart, he'll have your mind. He'll have your lifestyle. He'll have the way that you live. He wants your heart, church. So here's the thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. What do we learn from Jesus in this, in this whole encounter? The first thing is this, It it is the challenge to our own hearts. The challenge to our own hearts. See, I said it before, when we compare ourselves to others, we'll always find a justifier. Yet when we find, when we compare ourselves to the Almighty, we will be humbled and our hearts will be changed. Here's the thing I want you to realize. This is how you know you are growing closer to the Lord. Because when you grow closer to the Lord, you begin to understand how unrighteous you are. You know, Paul says later on in his life, he says, I am the chief of sinners. And a lot of people want to ignore that and act like, oh, Paul didn't mean that. That's a past tense thing. That's incorrect. Go look it up. Look it up in the Greek, and you can see it's present tense. He's not talking about I was the chief of sinners when I was persecuting the church because that's what he's saying preceding that whole thing. I know you Bible scholars know that. But here's the thing, right? This, this is the reality. The reality is Paul in the latter parts of his life walking with Jesus, you know when he came to understand how unholy he was? He came to understand, man, God is pure. And for sure, these things I used to do attack me and overwhelm me. However, I realized that God is holy, and I'm not. See, as we grow in in our holiness, we also grow in our understanding of how unholy we really are. And so that's, that's one sign of maturity. The second thing that we find here, so the first one is the challenge to our own hearts. The second one is kneeling before Jesus. What does she do? She kneeled before Jesus. Why does this matter? Listen, kneeling is not the thing. Some of you, because of reasons, I don't know, I don't want to say your age, but maybe I just said that. But anyway... Or injury, whatever, right? You cannot kneel before the Lord, right? Physically, you cannot kneel before the Lord. Here's what I want you to understand. It is not about a physical act. It's about an attitude of the heart. Kneeling is about an attitude of the heart, Right. We were talking about worship the other day at, 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 um, at Forge um, last week, and as we were talking about worship, the one thing that came through that was, that, that was clear is that, listen, man, there's some people that they're all out, hands lifted, just like all you know, loud and everything like that, and that's one type of worshiper. Praise the Lord. I probably fall into that category to some extent. But then there are other worshipers that are very meditative. They're more quiet in their worship, and yet that doesn't mean they're not worshiping. Now, I'm not talking about the ones that are just standing there watching their watch and looking at the screen like whatever. I'm talking about those that are in meditation, but here's the thing. We have to recognize that that is a heart posture. Worship is a heart posture, but this is why kneeling before Jesus is so important. Here's here's why it is. Because a bowed heart looks up to God and eye to eye with others. A bowed heart looks up to God and eye to eye with others. You know what happens? When I bow before the Lord, I humble myself before him. And I'm looking up to him because he's the holy one. And when I come up off my knees, when I come up to, you know what, everybody else looks eye to eye with me. I see them eye to eye. You know why? Because I'm not no longer looking down my nose at them. I'm not looking at them like I'm better than them. I'm not looking at them like they're the sinner and I'm not. No, 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 no. I realize that I am right there with Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. I realize this is true because what? Because of a bowed heart before the Lord. The third thing, if you're taking notes, repentance proofs, repentance proofs. You know, we live in a day where we want to talk about repentance proof. You know, you have people that they go... And they, they do a conference or they do a a, a a rally or something like that, and they talk about, hey, we had 300, you know, people who made a commitment to Jesus and all this and that. And if you go online a little bit and you've had, you know, listen to a couple of people, well, we can't count those and all this and that. Listen, I don't want to debate all of that. Here's what I want to say is that when you look at what happened to this woman, as we read the New Testament, you know what we see? We see a lot of different proofs of repentance, do we not? We see a lot of different behaviors. in you know, those Zacchaeus, he's ready to, like, pay stuff. Like, you know, that's what's happening with him. You have other people like this woman, she's doing what? She's bowed down she's pouring oil so here's the thing just imagine this imagine if i said you know what you had to do to prove your repentance what you got to do to prove your repentance is you got to come up in here wash somebody's feet you got to pour oil on there and you, that'd be crazy would it not or how about this you know you're like guess what you know you got to do this with your money wait a second that's that that's not for me to determine repentance is something that should come from what from an encounter with the lord and you're turning from your sin that's what repentance is And so what we have to do is this. I don't think, and I want you to know this, is that we should not make someone a pastor the day after they repent. Are you here? Or the day after they seem like, oh, you know, we're going to put you in leadership. You're going to go lead a core connect life group. You made a commitment to Jesus. You were crying. Therefore, Monday, Tuesday, we're going to train you up. You know, Wednesday, we're going to. No, no, that's craziness. But here's what we should do. What we should do is when someone makes a commitment to Christ, we should immediately rejoice. Not only should we rejoice, we should affirm them. And not only that, but we should also encourage them in their faith. You know why? Because that's what disciple making is. You made a commitment to Jesus. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if it fell like on the shallow ground. I don't know if it fell among the weeds. I don't know if it fell on good ground. All I know is you responded. Therefore, it is my job as a disciple maker to come alongside you to cultivate that thing that's happening in you. So repentance proves. The next one is this, the kindergarten of the law. The kindergarten of the law. What do you mean by that? So, so this is what Jesus does, and this, this, this is this is something that we know, right? Law to the proud, grace to the humble. We shared that before. That, that, that's that, that's something that we have to understand. But what does Jesus always do? Jesus always comes back, and he deals with the law. He deals with the heart of these people. And you know what Jesus did with the three guys like Simon? He did it with Simon. He did it with the lawyer, and he did it with the rich young ruler. You know what he did? Instead of giving them grace, he gave them a task, he gave them something to wrestle with. This guy right here, you know what he had to wrestle with? Man, why didn't I shake it? You know, why didn't I give him a kiss when he came to my house? Why didn't I offer water, you know, for him to wash his feet? Why, you know, man, why didn't I, know him? Why, why didn't I honor Jesus? Like, he had to wrestle with that. Not let walk away and Jesus say, like, hey, man, I want to forgive you, Simon. No, no, Simon, you need to get right. You need to repent. You need to deal with your heart. You need to deal with those issues that are there. And so we have to learn, church, how to use the law. Again, grace to the humble, right? That's what we give. Grace to the humble, law to the proud. And then this other one here is true righteousness. That's another one. True righteousness. Our faith, our faith, listen, our faith is greatly lacking. And I want you to hear this. If we are trying to avoid sinners for fear of contamination. I've said this a couple times. I want to say it again. Our faith is greatly lacking if we are trying to avoid sinners for fear of contamination. But let me tell you what I wrote in all caps up in here. And I'm telling you this because I'm not going to yell this, but I want you to hear this clearly. If your faith is weak. If you are young in your faith, and check this out, or if you are desperate for a significant other, stay away from non-believers. Hello, somebody. Listen, my point is this. Your faith can be shaken if you're weak in your faith. So I'm not telling you, go out there. Well, Bishop said, I got to be around. that's not what I'm saying. Listen to me don't be unwise bring a brother with you bring a sister with you make sure you have accountability in your life if you're weak if you're young in your faith listen don't be trying to go out there and you know be super evangelist by yourself Jesus always sent people out two by two did he not that's what he does that's what he that's what he does so we should go out two by two and recognize listen and if you're if you're desperate for a significant other I'm gonna tell you something now listen I do not believe in what is called missionary dating hello From my days in youth ministry, you're trying to find a girl while she's cute, maybe, Uh uh-uh. Man, he's so beautiful, uh-uh, nope, 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 no. If he or she does not love Jesus, they have no right. They have no right in your life like that. You can be friends, but be honest, hello, come on. Are we just friends? No, you're not, no, you're not, don't lie. Hmm. Listen, that's where the enemy comes, does he not? The enemy comes and brings that person, that significant other, into your life from the wrong place, sows them into your life, and now you're messed up for the rest of your life. Hello. Anyway, anyway. Uh, The last thing that I would say on that is that you need to build your faith on the rock so you can be a warrior for the kingdom. That's what you need to do. Be strong and, and get built up in your faith. The last thing here is this. What about condemning sinners? That's the last one. What about condemning sinners? Aren't we supposed to condemn them? Aren't we supposed to let them know they're going to hell? Aren't we supposed to do that, right? Isn't that part of the message? Of course that's part of the message. But listen, I want you to realize this. The law is necessary to show people their sin, but the Bible clearly says it is the goodness of God that brings about repentance. I can assure you of this. I can almost guarantee you this, that the thing, and let, let me talk to you about my life. I knew that I was going to hell for sure. That didn't make me turn to Jesus. I knew that if the rapture happened, I was staying. I didn't want to go through that. That didn't make me turn to Jesus. It wasn't until the moment that God's love flooded my heart that I turned to Christ. That's the bottom line. I'm just letting you know. A big-time sinner like me that that had a general knowledge of the Bible, general knowledge of things, what turned me to Jesus wasn't my understanding of all those other things. It was when I came to understand the love of God, that's what turned me to him. That's what made me turn to Christ. And listen, that's the truth of what happens in our hearts. And so here's the thing. The law must be heard. The law must be declared clearly. It must be declared frequently. And it must be declared and heard boldly by Christians. You know why? Because as we hear the gospel, that's why I share it every week. As we hear the gospel, we're called to a higher life, are we not? We're called to live more for God's glory. But we're also humbled by the reality, man, we can't do it on our own. And so we should be out there proclaiming the gospel and sharing the truth with other people. So my closing question for you is this, church. Does your view, does your view of others, especially those far from Christ, need to change? Does your view of others, especially those who are far from Christ, need to change? My hope, my hope is that, like we talked about earlier, if you need help, With your unbelief or the way that you view non-believers that you'll call upon the Lord today. Because you know what I want to be? I want to be a person who is faithful to reaching those who do not know Christ. Sharing with as many people as we can this glorious and wonderful gospel that I don't know about you but I get pretty excited about. I get pretty excited that we get to sing to the Lord, that we get to have an audience with God. I get pretty excited that I know that I'm a loved son. I get pretty excited that I know that I'm forgiven, that even if people don't like me, Jesus loves me, so it doesn't really matter. I I get pretty excited that I don't have to walk around insecure and feeling like, man, I don't know if I'm loved. I know I'm loved every single day, every single moment of my life. And whenever I forget, you know what I can do? Go back to his word and remind myself, hey, you're loved. That's a big deal. You know how many people that are walking this earth, they don't know they're loved. They're seeking love in all the wrong places. They're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. They're looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. And God has given us this glorious and wonderful message. The the question is, how do you view sinners? How do you view those who are far from God? Do you have the right view of them? So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. And we thank you because you are a holy, righteous king. Lord, this morning we humble our hearts before you. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us throughout this week. We pray that you would reveal to us throughout this week, Lord, where it is that we need to be aligned with your thinking and your view of those who do not know you, God. Father, today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon our hearts and our lives. And God, that even as we look forward, Lord, not not just to Easter, but Lord God, as we look forward, dear dear Lord, to, to encountering those who don't know you, Father, that we would be bold to share this gospel, that we would be bold to invite people to come and worship next to us, and that we would trust that what you say in your word would be a reality in this place, that as your presence moves, that their hearts would be convicted of their sin and that they would realize the greatness of who you are and your love that they would humble themselves and repent before you, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you give us the right mind regarding those who don't know you and are far from you. And, Father, even for those that we have written off in our hearts, give us the right heart towards them. Help us to see them the way you do. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise.